Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Crawley. This message is by Eric Casto. motorcycles drove in. He said, hey, something's ready to happen here at the Buckingham Palace. Let's just watch. So I was eating my crackers. And uh, all of a sudden, you sense the presence of God. I said, I said to my friend, I said, somebody's coming. All of a sudden, the queen drives through the gate. She drives by. And you could sense the anointing that was on her life. And I really believe that day at Tinsley House that, that, that Charles, because of that family anointing, was carrying that oath that she made to defend the gospel. And I, I felt like when we shook hands and talked briefly, um, that something changed me for Great Britain. And back at that time, I, I was getting to know Pastor Colin, so I had the prophet and, and the prince helping me out for this beautiful nation that I, I love very deeply. And, um, you know, when we're, when we're not over here, we're watching Foyle's War just to stay up on, you know, some English, you know. Oh, come on. So, some of you are going to laugh before we get done. I mean, you know, I know it's been a hard week. But um, yesterday, <clears throat> what a wonderful team. I think we had about 15 or 16 people. The weather was perfect. It was great. And um, we had a little bit of rain, but never stopped us. But, but I remember we, we said, let's go over to McDonald's and get a hot chocolate, you know, have something. So we went over to the McDonald's. And uh, I went in, 
And I felt in my spirit, everybody in this place needs a tract. I just felt, it was like, and I, in my mind, I'm like, eh, this McDonald's, I kick you out, you know, and I'm not ready to be kicked out. So I, I went, but then before you know it, I sat down waiting for my hot cocoa, and there was a young English girl babysitting a, a young girl, and all of a sudden, I'm in a conversation with her. But it wasn't like I was a stranger and she was a stranger to me. The love of Jesus, when he comes and sits down, all of a sudden the barriers are gone and you can have a heart-to-heart conversation with somebody. And I'm sure she walked away going, that was quite a, a long conversation with a guy I don't even know. But I began to share with her what a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is like. Not church, I love church, but Christ. And and we're talking, and, and, and it's such a wonderful conversation. And I gave her the, the gospel leaflet, and she was from Oxted, and I said, I've been to Oxted many times. I know Oxted. And she goes, You do? I said, Oh yeah. And um and I said, Before you leave, can I pray with you? And, you know, we're in McDonald's. She said, yes. So it's a McPrayer. I'll have a McPrayer, please. Make it a large. And so I bowed my head and began to pray for her. I said, young lady, I gave you a leaflet. I want you to read it. There's a prayer on the back. I want you to pray it. And she said, I I will. She said, thank you so much. And so... We have to, as a church, be ready for, for these kind of situations. If Christ is in us, he's alive. He loves to be with you and he loves to be with them. And that ought to be the peculiar relate, uh, uh, characteristic about our lives is that we find ourselves in these conversations. I mean, Jesus was at a well just waiting for his disciples to go get lunch all alone, and a lady shows up, and he just starts to talk to her. He starts to talk to her about her life. And she's in this full conversation like, I've known this guy for a long time. And she's changed. Now, as soon as I get done, one of the sisters comes to me. I think it was Grace. And she says, the floor manager who's a Muslim lady. She's very kind. And she says, take your tracks and give them to everybody upstairs. I said, what? She said, give them all out. And so I said, well, that's what, she, that's what she did. She went upstairs and then she got into some conversations witnessing to people. And I said, wow, Jesus is just kind of settling down on McDonald's. And there's somebody up there that, she, that the Lord wants to talk to. I mean, obviously he wanted to talk to this, this young and these, these crosswalks are important because it's not really an outreach that we're going to go do something with for the Lord. No, we're going to go out and be with the Lord and be joyful and love each other, and people see the difference. They think they, they have something real. Well, yeah, because Jesus is with us. He's walking with us. And, um, and we have
have some friends. Sabrina, hello. That's my friend from the crosswalk. She found us yesterday, and, and uh, it's great. So I need 10 people before you leave today. Go give her a hug and let her know how, how much we love her, and, and it's welcome home. And who else is here from the crosswalk? Anyone else? Hello again. Hello. It's great to have you. And uh, so <laughs> if I miss anybody, forgive me. Um, but, you know, it was just a, an amazing time. And, and I bumped into two Italian, two Italians living in Crawley. They're from Sicily. And I, I talked to them. I'm like, oh, man, I love Italy. I said, I spent about a year and a half of my life in Italy. I said, I'm really got, I got an Italian living in me. And so we talked. They stood there for about 10 minutes, and they were totally engaged because I shared Christ with them. And we have to be open so that Christ in us, he is the hope, not just for you, but for them. And so many Christians are are so closed up. People say, why isn't our church growing? Well, because you're closed. You're all barriered. You're all closed up. And so, what a wonderful day. And we got to preach on the streets yesterday. That, that was exciting for me. I, I, I love to declare the hope of, the, of Jesus Christ on the streets of Great Britain. And, um, and then tell people, don't, don't go to hell. You know? you know, hell's a real place. You know, Jesus not only created hell, but he had to go there. Did you know that? He had to literally, we always talk about the cross, don't we? Yeah, Calvary. But he had to go to hell. And that, I know that, that, that affects people's theology. But if he hadn't, you would go. He literally went into that place in the pit so you and I could be forgiven. So, and then on the third day, raised back to life with power to forgive. And uh, there's something that Jesus said about hell that you should take a note of. He said, in hell, people pray. Pray? Well, yeah, he said there's a lot of weeping. There's a lot of gnashing of teeth. People in hell are still alive. They're just separated from God. They lived a life of separation from God. They loved the world. They lived for the world. And when life came to an end, they were pulled down into the darkness, into a prison called hell. And in that place, the Bible says it's full of fire, it's full of weeping, it's full of gnashing of teeth, because people there know why they're there. See, here on the earth, people have a lot of things to say. But once you go down into that place and you realize the torment and the judgment that awaits, you realize why you're there. All of a sudden, the deception of this world is gone. And it's clear. And then Jesus said, they pray. What what, what, what do they pray? He said, they pray... God, send somebody to warn my family that they don't come here. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, 
They have a care for people. It's amazing. Yeah. But hell's not the end. The end is a lake called fire where hell itself will be taken out of the center of the earth and it will be put into a place of separation for eternity. It is a real place. It's just not yet. So we're commissioned to go out and to take the hope that we have, the love that we have. You know, this morning, I wasn't feeling real well. I've been believing God for a healing in my back. Amen. You ever have to believe God for a healing? Yeah, sure we do. We live on the planet, right? But I just let, and all of a sudden, the presence of the Lord came. And I just was praying in the Holy Spirit. And, I, and then these words come, Jesus, I, I love you so much. I love you so much. He's real. He's not a religion. What he did at the cross was because we had a great need. You know, I tell people this, and this just shakes people. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. Did you know that? Oh, no. Of course he did. No, he didn't. Did you want to die on the cross? No. No, of course you don't. Nobody does. He was normal. Jesus is normal. But he said, Father, if there's no other way, I'll do it. Your will, not mine. And when he submitted to the will of God, the will of God is the most powerful force in creation. There's nothing stronger than his will. His will. You ever have a strong-willed child? Oh, my goodness, I had, I had one. Oh, he could throw a tantrum. I never knew what to do. I thought, how do you nail this kid back to where he came from? I want a different one. The stork dropped me the wrong one, you know. And you had to work with him. He's a pilot in the Navy now flying helicopters in Japan. So, but, but in those little years, I mean, he had a will. Woo. But God has will. And out of his will flows his love, flows his power, flows everything that you need. His will. And that's why Jesus came. He taught us. It's his will. Learn, learn his will. Learn his goodness. Learn his love. He's good. He's not bad. Devil bad, God good. It's very simple. Learn his will. God has a will. And when we submit to that will, you know what? Things in our life begin to correct and work. Amen? So, yeah. That's why, you know, over here we're doing the school of Acts and Everywhere I'm going, I'm telling people, you got to reach out. You got to tell people about Jesus. You got you to gotta love him. Amen? Because time is short. Time is short. Jesus is coming. I have never felt so strong in my life that Jesus is coming. And I don't think it, it could be any time. The word is be ready. Because Jesus said, you won't know the hour. He didn't say the day. He said, now you won't. You're going to know something's up. Amen. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Well, 
Pastor said we're going to three o'clock today. Okay, a little different day. All right, I mean, got to be honest with you. And uh, I'm kidding. We're going to head over to Parkley soon. And uh, oh, it's crowded. Let me open in another word of prayer. Amen. Father, we love this nation. our nation. It's their nation, and I'm just adopted into it. And Lord, we ask you to pour out your spirit upon Great Britain. Father, upon the government, that you would give them wisdom, that they would stay the right direction, make corrections where there needs to be corrections. Father, that this nation will remain a sheep nation and not a goat nation. We pray that the policies would be correct Father, we pray, we pray that God, every county in this land would begin to, to bubble up with living Christianity. That low, it may look small, but that it would begin to bubble up and saturate in a way that nobody thought. For many have said, oh, this is what revival shall be. But the Lord says, no, revival is when you follow me. And I will not lead you the same way that I led those of old. I shall lead you in a new path, <laughs> in a new way, so be bold. And when you walk with me, you shall see things shall change. Things shall live and things shall go free. And that's revival. Mm. Hallelujah. We receive that in Jesus' name. You know, that's just a little touch of prophecy there. You know, a lot of people talk about revival, what they think it's going to be. But I got to tell you, people who go through one revival don't accept the next revival because it's not like what they thought. Well, it's got to be this way. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. God has a lot of ways. He is revival. Follow him. You got revival. Amen. Can you imagine telling God you're doing it wrong? Oh, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> I'll change. <laughs> he doesn't do that. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I want to talk to you this morning about resurrection power. We as a church, now who's a Christian in here? Any, any Christian people? Okay, all right. Some of you aren't sure yet. That's okay. You get an auto call. We as a church need to be laying that foundation strong again of Christ raised from the dead. When you look at the New Testament church, what made them so powerful was Jesus was alive. Well, brother, I thought it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but the foundation in the hearts of those people was Jesus is alive. And with that, the Holy Spirit was able to rest and empower them. Amen? So many people go, oh, I want the Holy Spirit, but there's nothing for him to use. Jesus alive. And when Jesus is alive, it changes everything. It changes how you pray. It changes how you talk to people. You get a little more kind, right? More, more gentle, more patient with people. You know, years ago, I was in Charles de Gaulle Airport. 
I had been walking in France with the cross. God's presence was so strong. And I'm at the airport with my cross, waiting in line to check my bags at United. And there was a person in front of me, and I looked at the lady from United. She was offended. You could see the spirit of offense. And when I see that, I get offended. Okay, I'm normal. I don't know about you guys, but I got to be honest with you, you know. And that's a weakness in me. But the Lord's working on it. So I'm there, and I can see somebody has really gone up her nose and, you know, stayed up there for a while, and she was, you know, on edge. And so, but I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, Jesus came, and he stood beside me. I didn't see him with my eyes, but his presence flooded me. Such love so filled me. I had tears coming down my eyes, and I'm in a line at United. And the thing that makes Christianity peculiar is that Jesus is alive. And when he comes and you get a visitation, people look at you and can't figure out why you're just crying. And I'm sitting there, and I realize, first of all, that power of his love, the spirit of offense could not penetrate it. There's nothing stronger than his love. And when you're in his presence, there's a prayer. You'll pray, and it goes like this, Lord, I'm not like you, but I want to be like you. Isn't that why you were created? To be in his image, to be like him. And I just sat there. Then then I, I walked up there, and I don't, I don't even remember talking to the lady. I did. Don't remember any of the interaction. I gave her the bags. I had my tickets. I went to the gate. And I'm just saying, Lord, never, I don't want to ever leave this presence. I want to stay in this glory of your love. Because I've never, you'll never meet someone more gentle than Jesus. Yet strong, more patient. Jesus is very patient. I'm not like him. And he knows that. And so I went to the gate. And then the time came to get on the plane. And when I went to get on the plane, there was the lady. She was completely changed. She saw me and was smiling at me. And I didn't think much about it until I sat down on the plane. I thought, that's a different lady. I believe she was changed when I stepped up there. Not because of me. I was being changed. And she was being changed. Jesus, he's alive. Now, if you have your Bible, 
I want you to look at Hebrews 11 real quick. This is going to be, we have to understand resurrection. Resurrection. Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom God said that in Isaac shall your seed be called. So it's God's promise. So Abraham accounted that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him as a figure. Now, that's King James Bible. That's your language, okay? So let me tell you what he's saying. <laughs> I come to England. Americans love King James. We come to England, they're like, we don't understand it. We don't, it's, you know, it's tough. I don't even understand the word. But King James is great. This is what happened. God came to Abraham when he was 75 years old. He said, Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave your home, your family, go to a land that I'm going to show you. Abraham had no map. He just followed by faith. Faith is a process. It's not something you get overnight. Amen? Your life was created to be a progression of faith from beginning to end. So Abraham, he's 100 years old, and the Lord says, Hey, Abraham, it's time to have a baby. And they're like, Are you kidding me? You know how old we are? But they believed. God made a promise. Abraham, out of you is going to come a seed, a child. But really, he's talking about Christ. And from that seed, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. So Abraham gives birth. They give birth to a child, Isaac. And Isaac begins to grow. And Abraham's probably thinking, this life of faith, I've accomplished it. I've given birth. Sarah and I have given birth to a miraculous child. Right? No, isn't stopping yet. So finally one day, Abraham's having some fellowship, probably drinking cappuccino or something with Isaac, right? And they're talking. And God says, Abraham, you know the son of your love? Yes. The son that I made a promise to? Yes. Lord, you said that you're going to bless all the nations of the world. He said, yeah, I want you to take your son to a place I'll show you, and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham, you know, I'd like to know what Abraham thought, what he looked at. I think he went like this. What? A miraculous birth? And now you want me to what? Sacrifice? Yeah, sacrifice him. Abraham quiet, and he began to think, God promised, he gave, that was a miracle, so if I obey him, then he's going to have to raise him back to life, 
because his promise to me is true. And so if I sacrifice Isaac, he's going to have to raise him back to life or he lied to me. So Abraham says, Isaac, get some wood, get the servants. We're going to go. And where God shows us, we got something to do. He didn't tell him yet. Okay, dad. And they went off three days. Finally, Abraham looks off and he says to his servants, wait here. Me and the boy are going to go and we're going to come back. Isn't that great? That's resurrection talk. God said sacrifice. Abraham saying, come back. Isn't that powerful? So they go over. You know where they went? They went to a place called Mount Moriah. That's the very place where Jerusalem is today. It didn't exist yet. It was a place where Abraham took Isaac, laid him down on a rock, and when he raised the knife, God said, Abraham, stop. What was happening? Abraham's faith was reaching up and God's faith was reaching down in the power of resurrection. From God's view, Abraham obeyed and Isaac was raised back to life as a figure that day. And because of that, the mark of resurrection has been on the Jewish people ever since. The mark of resurrection has been on Jerusalem ever since. The Bible says that Abraham was looking for a city whose foundations were laid by God. But God didn't just do it by him. He and Abraham got together and laid the foundation of Jerusalem. You can tear that city down and it's going to come back to life. Well, it doesn't just stop there because the mark of resurrection on the Jewish people became the double mark of resurrection on the church, the body of Mashiach, the Messiah. You have the mark of resurrection in you through Christ. And that's what we want to look at today. Amen? I know some of you are going to be dancing around, running around this place by the time we get to the end. <laughs> Amen. Now, I want, to, I want you to look at this. John 10, verse 18. This is Jesus talking. Let's just look at it. John 10, verse 18. John 10, I hear. No paper. John 10, it's all computers. It's all on our phones now, isn't it? used to be pages turning, now it's keypads. John 10, verse 18, the Bible says, this is Jesus. He says, no man takes my life from me. Isn't that great? I thought Pilate did. I thought the Romans did. I thought the religious Jews did. Now, no man takes my life from me. That's power. Don't let anyone take your life from you. I lay it down of myself and I have authority and power to lay it down and I have authority and power to take it back up again. This commandment have I received of my father. 
What was Jesus saying? He was saying, I came as a Jew. I'm in this faith of Abraham where Abraham's faith went up and God's faith came down in resurrection power. And Jesus coming from the God side came in and said, no man takes my life. I have authority to lay it down. And when I do it, I've got authority to take it back up. See, the devil didn't like that kind of talk. He didn't understand it. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His life has no opposite. Your life has a little bit of an opposite. It's called death, but his didn't. And that's where the devil didn't understand it. The Bible says if Satan understood it, he never would have crucified Jesus. And when he did, he lost everything. The very power of death was broken by the resurrection of Jesus. Take a look at Philippians, the Philippines, Philippians chapter 3. I just love Jesus. What he was doing was speaking confidence into his disciples because they were about ready to go through a real, whew, we just lost Jesus. He's on the cross, but his words were spoken. I've got authority. This whole thing is wrapped in authority. Philippians chapter three, verse 10. Now this is the apostle Paul who's speaking. He says, I want to know him. How about you guys? I want to know him. Don't you want to know Jesus? I can't wait to get to heaven, right? Who's the first person you're going to look for? Uh, You know, I want to see dad and I want to see, you know, but Jesus. I got a feeling Jesus is going to walk up behind me. Well, I'm like, hey, Moses. Hey, Abraham. Hey, dad. All of a sudden, the presence, and you know someone's behind you, and you turn around, and there is Yeshua, Jesus. And I don't know, maybe at first you pull back a little bit because he's got eyes that are like fire, full of love. And I got a feeling he'll grab say, this is why I did it, so you could be him. Paul said, I want to know him. But he didn't stop there. He said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Going all the way back into what Abraham and God did putting the foundations of Jerusalem in place. There's a Jerusalem on the earth and a Jerusalem above. In the book of Revelation, it's called the new Jerusalem. It's God's side coming down. And it's us. All of us who have been what? Raised back to life. Amen? Now look at this. 
and in the power of his resurrection. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And then I'm going to give you a couple examples here. Matthew 28, verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, that's Jesus' mother, Mary, okay? And there were, there's another Mary, too. There was a group of ladies. Everybody was Mary. They were all Catholic. Behold, I'm just kidding. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Remember the ladies? Who's going to roll the stone back? It's huge. God had that taken care of. His countenance was like lightning. His raiment white as snow. He had been in the Father's presence. You and I have no clue what it's like to be before the throne of God. This angel was coming down after receiving orders from the Father. And the Bible says around the throne, there's such a thick cloud of the glory, you can't see the Father's face. But in the end, in Revelation, when things are put back right, the cloud is going to part, and you're going to see the face of him who said, let us make a man in our image, in our likeness. When you see what the Bible describes of the glory of God coming from the throne, it's not like a precious stone. It's like a common stone. Jasper. And when you look up these stones, they come in different colors. Wherever you look in this room, we're all different colors. God had to create you the way you are because from his throne, there's glory that can only reflect off of you. It's different than you and you and you. It requires the multifaceted realities of humanity were his children. Amen. Thank you for coming, Brother Eric. The power of the throne. I don't think until that day when you see Father, Father, all of a sudden, everything will come into completion. You will have seen your Father. Even today, people that were adopted, I want to know my own Father. Where is my Father? Because something in them, I want to know my Father. Where's my Father? I want to meet my Father. They hire people to hunt them down. You know that? That's not something just here. You want to see the heavenly father. But right now, your body cannot take it, believe me. So Jesus came. He looks just like him. He is the image of the father. He says, if you see me, you see him. (laughs) 
So here we go. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers shook, became like dead men. Jesus, the angel comes down, moves the stone, everybody guarding it, trying to keep Jesus from coming out. That was futile. All of a sudden, that tomb was full of light and comes out of it, Jesus. And Paul's like, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus who stepped out of that tomb so I can step out of mine. Resurrection power. Now, in the book of Acts, and I'm, I'm not going to take too much longer here. What made the early church powerful was the mark of resurrection. In the book of Acts 1 verse 3, the Bible declares to whom, meaning the disciples, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom wasn't hiding Jesus. He showed himself alive. What was it like to be with Jesus after his resurrection? Life that had conquered death. Such joy that Jesus said, when I see you, you're going to rejoice. And that joy nobody will ever take. Well, I don't feel very happy today. <laughs> well, joy is a decision too. Amen? Sometimes you just have to get in your car and drive and laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ho. He, he, he. The devil says, I got you this time. Ha, ha, ha. He, he, he. Ho, ho, ho. The devil says, what are you doing? I'm laughing at you because my father laughs at you and I laugh at you. You can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. And you laugh, you laugh, and you laugh. And all of a sudden, the joy of the Lord will kick in and you'll laugh and you'll laugh. And all of a sudden, your faith will begin to rise up and you'll see it different. And then you'll begin to speak your faith and begin to chart your way through the wall that the enemy has established power of resurrection. The Bible gives 12 examples where Jesus manifested himself to his followers. Mary Magdalene, Mark 16, verse 9. Mary and the other women, Matthew 28, verse 9. Peter, Luke 24, 34. You know, Peter had a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. He's, he had a one-on-one -on -one talk. He needed a one-on-one. -on -one two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Mark 16, verse 12 to 13. Two, the, all the apostles minus Thomas. Remember that one? Thomas the doubter. John 20, verse 19. To all the disciples with Thomas. John 20. To the 11 disciples in Galilee, Matthew 28, 16. Disciples and others, Luke 24, 36. 
seven disciples fishing, John 21, 1 through 2. 500 disciples, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. To James, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. James had a one-on-one meeting with Jesus. It's amazing. You remember that they were fishing and Jesus walked by and said, Hey, Peter, and come on, follow me. James, John, hey, come on, follow me. Now, Paul, who came later, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8. Now, what you see there is John, the apostle John, you say, well, why didn't he have a one-on-one with Jesus? James did. Peter did. Why didn't John? Jesus didn't like John anymore. I mean, John sat next to Jesus like this. Remember at the, at the Last Supper? I was talking to the Lord about that. I said, I said, why didn't you meet one-on-one with John? And I felt sometimes the Lord will answer you. He says, I did. It's called the book of Revelation. I just waited. Isn't that amazing? He was the last apostle to die. He was over there on the island. And the Lord came and showed him the end. These, this early church was saturated in the knowledge that Jesus is alive. It affected everything. They met together because Jesus commanded it. He was alive. Amen? They prayed. Why? Because Jesus is alive. We're talking to him. They evangelized. They went everywhere preaching about Jesus. Why? Because he's alive. I'll show you one last, and then we'll, I'll, I'll pray. In Acts 4, verse 2, The Bible says the religious leaders were grieved that they taught the people, they taught the people, and they preached. They taught the people, and they preached. They taught, they preached. They taught, they preached. What did they preach? Through Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. This was the mark of where persecution came. With Paul. Nobody had a problem that he preached Jesus. But when he preached Jesus raised from the dead, that was a problem. And that's what the devil fears the most. And when Christians are living with a revelation that Jesus is alive, raised back to life, it changes everything and it begins to change the world you live in. Religious leader said, no more teaching about Jesus and this resurrection stuff. And you know what they did? Uh, they said, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. And they said, well, <laughs> we're going to have to find out how to stop you. And they never stopped him. 
Listen, stand up. times the things that we go through in our Christian walk we kind of get used to Jesus oh sure he's alive but that's not what the Bible says people don't have joy they had joy 15 years ago but they don't have joy anymore something's happened that vibrant relationship, Jesus is alive. They don't forgive as quick as anymore. Someone hurts them and they, they, they mull around and they keep, no, no, Jesus is alive, you forgive. I said this the other night. I said, somebody treated me wrong and that happens quite a lot. But that's fine. You carry a cross, you know what? You experience a lot. You experience people that want to kill you. You experience people that spit on you. You experience people that call you all kinds of stuff. You go through it. So you just have to say, okay, if I'm going to carry the cross, I better I better forgive people. So somebody treated me terrible. I was tell, talking to my brother about it. He goes, well, you got to forgive. I said, I, I have. You know, be, be assured. He said, let's send them some money. Let's send them some money just to show them we love you. And we're not going to let the devil have any room here. Amen? We're not giving the devil room. We're forgiving. We're releasing. Because Jesus, you know, you ever find it hard to forgive? But you know what I find out about Jesus? When you kneel down and you pray, it's tough. And you start to, to love in prayer. Love in prayer. And before you know it, guess what? He comes and puts his hands on your hands and you see those nail holes that he took for you. And all of a sudden it breaks and you find love. I forgive them and I love them and I will seek their good. That's Christianity. That's what the devil hates. He can't stop that. And you say, well, I don't know. You don't know what someone did to me. Well, you could say that to Jesus. He says, you don't know what the whole planet did to me. The whole planet. The whole planet. You know, I used to, I used to get affected when someone would persecute me carrying the cross, but I was in Naples, Italy, Napoli, Italy, and there was a whole demonstration going on it was a homosexual parade. And they saw me, and I didn't even say anything, and they all surrounded me, and I thought I was about ready to die. Ev, I mean, my friends are like, you ought to hear what they're saying in Italian. Well, I heard what they were saying in English. They were speaking English, too, and what the stuff coming out of their mouths. I said, I didn't even say anything. I just stand with the cross. Didn't even know that this was coming. And I didn't know if I was going to get out of it. And after they left, I thought, you know, when somebody screams at me anymore, it doesn't faze me. But when you have 5,000 Italian homosexuals surrounding you, 
ready to kill you. That's a little different. Jesus took the sins of the whole world, all of them, even the sin that people won't repent from. He took it all. He took it all. He's the judge. And so today, I preached this today for a couple reasons. I said, first of all, in your praying, I believe there's going to be an increase of evangelism. And it's going to require more fervent prayer and prayer that carries the revelation of resurrection in it. You must increase your capacity to believe God to raise the dead. You were raised back to life. That's resurrection. Amen. One day you're going to get a new body. That's the resurrection of your body. Amen. We must be praying and believing God for evangelism in this, um, this, this revelation that goes into Crawley. That when you talk to people, Jesus is alive and it's real because you pray it. You spend time praying it. And then when you pray for people, and I believe that God's going to start raising the dead in Britain as a sign and a wonder before he comes. But the church has got to get up on another level of desire. The day and the hour of evangelism teams going out and the rest of the body doing nothing, you have to be in prayer to carry these things so that people can come out of darkness. Maybe today you think, I've been blaming everybody else. The reality is I turned away from Jesus. Not in my heart, but in my faith, vibrant faith. There's a lot of Christians who aren't technically in sin, they're just not in faith. They're not pursuing the Lord in faith. They're just in neutral. And then they just become bland. They become part of the furniture. I've been here for 50 years. And I'm as old as the pew. And we both stink. care how old you are, there should be a vibrancy that you continue to move after. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends this morning. Lord, maybe it wasn't the best sermon ever, but Lord, I do know one thing, resurrection, resurrection. Lord, we pray for Crawley. We love this town very town where the smile track was written. You birthed it here. And now, Father, those smile tracks are going out to the beautiful people here and telling them about you, telling them about your love, telling them that you're alive, telling them that they don't need to die without Christ. They can live. And Father, today I pray that your glory would come upon the town for all the seed that was planted yesterday. And that, Father, this church, that it would be vibrant in that life. Lord, in that worship this morning, we felt a church where there's life and love. I pray for these in the congregation. 
I pray, I pray, I pray that the walls of culture that would actually hinder love, that those would come down and that there would be a new vibrance of fervency of loving each other the way you commanded when Peter commanded us to agape each other, to phileo each other. But Lord, the love of God, that it would be so strong in our midst. Oh, Father, I pray, I pray. I pray for this church. I pray for the pastors. I pray your hand of God, the hand of God upon them, how precious they are. You protect them. Protect them and give them wisdom. Give them wisdom. Give them them wisdom. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.